0: I try to pay attention on the what we put on online for people to read or listen to. I put the notes and everything on there so that people can get the notes. But there's there's some sermons, some messages that just seem to touch a nerve or something. They touch a needs. What it happens? There's things that people are concerned about, and I watch for that. There's Subjects that people are attracted more to because there's more of a need there. In uh, the message tonight same title as a message a couple of weeks ago, but it's some it's one of those. I just noticed that it just gets a lot more listens. There's other matters like that, but this a pure conscience dealing with your conscience. Do you think there might be a problem there with people? Yes, sir. Do you think that people have an evil conscience, you think that's a problem with people, an evil conscience, a troubled conscience. Yes. With all the sin, of course. Yes. That's where sin is abounding, that's for sure. But our verse this month is where sin, sin abounded. Grace. grace did much more abound. Well now that's wonderful news. But if you're if you don't know that, and if you don't know God, and you're out there and you have wrecked your life with sin. You have, your conscience has eaten you alive. It's hard, And you don't know how to escape from it. There's a lot of people who come to church and try and they never find the answer. They never find a way out of it. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our Hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. That is clean inside and out. Your heart, your conscience, your body. When he says, he prays that you'll be sanctified body, soul and spirit. Holy. Sanctified. Holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y. Not holy. H-O-L-Y. Sanctified. Clean. Clean. All over. Well, we talked about uh, a week or two ago, too, about being unclean and how the psalmist desired to be clean. That was his desire. (laughs) That is his conscience. That's the thing that's unclean, that's defiled. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 9 holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. This is one of these things that a lot of people debate. You won't you won't get far in with preachers and theologians without they want to argue and debate over the conscience. Uh, but the Bible talks a lot about our conscience, yes, and it's important, and it's real, and we just need to understand it. We know how need to know how to deal with it. We need to know what God says about it and what to do about it. The dictionary tells us that conscience... Here's here's the way it's defined in the dictionary. Internal or self-knowledge or judgment of right and wrong or the faculty, power or principle within us which decides on the lawfulness or unlawfulness of our own actions and affections and instantly approves or condemns them. Your conscience is not the Holy Spirit of God. Don't get them confused. That's right. You can mess up your conscience. You can sear your conscience, the Bible talks about. You can defile it. You can harden it to where you can... You de- and what it is, it's that deceit that goes on in your mind because of your heart and its desires. You can actually lie to yourself and make yourself believe that what you're doing, that God says is wrong, is okay for you. And then you don't feel that guilt for it once you pass that line that I don't know how to tell you where it is. But but it's a very dangerous thing to do. He talks about an evil conscience there in that verse in Hebrews. Here's what evil means. Hurtful. In effect or influence, calamitous, ill, diseased, but especially culpable That means blamable. Bearing the blame. Derelict. Abandoned. Evil conscience. An abandoned conscience. Hurtful. You, you get all these different meanings of it. Thrown away. Relinquished. Or abandoned by the owner. An evil conscience. Whew. Think about that. People do that. That's how you enter into the perversion and the depravity that you see all around us now. The, you know, the violence. How can you be violent and hurt people on purpose and not feel anything? The Bible talks about it being past feeling. That is an evil conscience. It's been abandoned. That conscience has been so suppressed that it don't rise up against you anymore. So we gotta live with ourselves. Now that's the important thing. No matter what you do, you gotta live with yourself. You talking to me last week about people that just uh, you know, they just disappear. They've got these companies and outfits that'll help you escape and just disappear and your family and everybody don't know whatever happened to you. You just go to somewhere else and start all over a new life again. So do you think that'll really fix your problem? I got news for you. It'll not fix your problems. you got a conscience. You've got to live with yourself. And every time you look in the mirror and every time you're alone... Your thoughts are going to go to that same thing. You can't leave your thoughts and your guilt and your and the wreck you've made behind, it'll go with you. Because it's in your mind and in your heart. You gotta live with yourself. Your conscience is that self awareness of what you really are inside. You know we say things bother us. Are you does anything bother you about yourself? Do you ever feel any guilt or condemnation or anything ab- about doing things that are wrong? You've got a conscience that does that. You can see it in the smallest child. I've looked for it. I've watched for that. Because, I, you know, as soon as they start becoming aware, before they can talk, before they can walk, they, you can see it. You can see that conscience. They'll start to do something that they've been told no and they've been punished for and they'll start to do it and they'll stop and they'll look. (laughs) What is that? (laughs) Something in them is telling them, you're fixing to get it. This is wrong. Better not do this. It's another one of those obstacles that God has put in our soul to keep us from sin. Romans chapter two verse fourteen and fifteen says, "For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, how about that? What what makes them do that? Their conscience. Mm-hmm. Huh? These having not the law are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts. That's what our conscience is." Their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or excusing one another. See, that's that inward dialogue that goes on in you about it. Justifying yourself. Excusing yourself. Rationalizing and reasoning so that you can make wrong right for you. And your conscience won't go along with it. So you have to kill your conscience. Or you have to abandon it. You have to drink it into oblivion or drug it into oblivion where it will be silent. That's why people do those things. Yes, yes. They're trying to escape. Yep. That's why a drunk is a drunk. Yep. They say he's addicted to alcohol. No, he's got such a troubled conscience that he can't live with it so he drinks himself blind so he can't, even, so he can't think about it. It's that voice inside that condemns or approves of our thoughts and our actions. When you violate your conscience, you're trapped forever thereafter in the guilt and torment of it unless you find forgiveness through Christ. Now, I don't want to paint such a dark picture here lest somebody quit listening at this point and think, there's no hope for me. That's what this whole message is about. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. There's a way to fix this problem. This evil conscience, your troubled heart, your troubled mind, the lack of peace and the lack of any kind of assurance whatsoever with God of heaven, of eternity, of peace ever being yours. That troubled conscience, that evil conscience, there's a way to take care of it. You've damaged your soul. Psalm 41 verse 4, I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. Heal my soul. He's not asking for healing for his body, he's asking for healing for his soul. Because he's damaged it, he's wounded it. Your conscience can be defiled damaged it can be rendered insensitive first Timothy chapter 4 verse 2 speaking lies in a, in a hypocrisy having their conscience seared with a hot iron that means rendered insensitive what happens when you burn your finger pretty good it hurts real bad when you burn it but then what happens it's it, you don't have any feeling there i mean you That's the way your conscience is. You can violate your conscience, and it's a traumatic thing. But then after that, you when you push through, then you quit feeling. Titus chapter one and verse fifteen: Under the pure, all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. Mind and conscience. So you can abuse your conscience until you can go on committing sin without the hesitation that you did that you had at first. Have you all observed life and others, even your own self, your experience, and saw that fact in real life play down? That first step, that first entering in is the hardest. Once you break through then it's just like an avalanche. It's just like pushing a domino over and the whole string goes down. The second one is easier, the third one is easier and then then you just don't care anymore. You can do it without feeling. Not scare you to death if, if you can do that. Yes, sir. God gave us a conscience. He designed us, he constituted us <laughs> that way and the conscience is not the holy spirit of god see when we're born again the spirit comes in to dwell in us and that's a totally different thing a lot of people have the two confused they think you know they're listening to their conscience and think it's and they credit it to the spirit of god Mm-mm. It's two different things and the spirit of god is a lot more a lot better than the conscience is. The conscience is very sensitive until it's seared. The guilt is suppressed but still there, taking deep root in your soul. You can abuse your conscience until you can go on committing sin. But that doesn't mean that no damage is being done because just because you can't consciously feel the pain right now doesn't mean you won't feel it later. See? people cross that line into sin and they violate their conscience they ride it over they stomp it under their feet and go on and then they add to it all these other all the other sins and they think it doesn't matter I mean I've blown it all anyway so what difference does this make? oh it's going to make a difference later you're going to have a whole lot more to trouble you turn around quick as you can Stop. Don't take another step in that direction. Conscience is very sensitive until it's seared. The smallest transgressions or improprieties can defile a pure conscience. <laughs> I believe the Spirit of God and works with our conscience. I believe that's the way the thing works, and we're more sensitive when, when we're pure and when we're right with God. Don't you that? believe that's yes, right? That. Small things will trouble our conscience. We'll be troubled by small things, whereas other people aren't troubled by big things. Ignore this warning at the peril of your soul and at the peril of the souls that you have influence over. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 19, "...holding faith and a good conscience." Hold it, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Holding faith and a good conscience. You better care about your conscience. You better care about that voice in you that guides you. You better tune it tighter instead of loosening everything up. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you can damage the conscience of others. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 10 through 12. For if any man see thee, which had knowledge, sit at meat, which has knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him that is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? You see what he's saying? This thing about offending your brother and, 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 and this is what he's talking about here. Uh, has not, uh, you, uh, what am I doing here? Shall not the conscience of him that is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. So, when you do something that's questionable, just put it that way, and somebody sees you do it, you're lowering the standard and you're bringing, you're, you're tempting other people into doing sin also. You violate your conscience by doing something that's questionable, even. But what about if it's sinful and you know it's wrong? I'd like to just dig in right here about things, about a lot of things, about holy living, modesty. Just try that for a minute. What about modesty? Among men, but among women, especially in girls. Now, if you just fudge the line as far as you can, what is that going to do to the others who are looking at you and around you? It's going to embolden them to do the same. So we're responsible for our own conscience, but we're also responsible for the consciences of those around us and those who are following behind us. And we ought to carry that responsibility The message of modern times tries to teach people to ignore the conscience and therefore wrecks the great it wrecks great damage to the conscience of others. Just ignore your conscience. do what feels good. Do what pleases you. It's your life. Nobody has a right to judge you. If you if it's not if you don't think it's wrong, then it's not wrong for you. Your truth and my truth and and, and here's the classic. God has never convicted me for that yet. What a lie. It's not true. It, you're just admitting that you have a conscience that's seared. Exactly. Yes, sir. You don't hear or feel anything anymore. Because if the Bible says it and gives... And the Bible doesn't have to say, Thou shall not. The Bible doesn't have to spell out a dress code for you. It gives the principles and the design of God's creation and how it's supposed to be. In the book, when they first got to the jungle and they brought her over there because the people didn't believe these men were men because they didn't have wives. And he said, we'll br- I'll bring my wife. And so they finally got her there. And when she got there, she explained how that the, all those savages were over there looking. And they, she said, I had on a hat. Uh, just like my husband had on. She said, I had on boots just like he had on because they come up the river in a boat and hiking and everything else. But they were looking at her and they couldn't tell with that kind of clothes on that she was a woman. And she, they come a-punching at her and feeling of her and everything. and And so she said, I am a woman. And she took her hat off and she said her hair fell down. And all, now, savages, that didn't even know the world existed outside of where they lived. It is a woman, it is a woman. How did they know that? <laughs> Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is shame unto him. Talks about a woman's hair being her glory, her covering. A woman has long hair. A man has short hair. Not a woman's hair. Hair like a woman and a face like a man. Do we need to draw pictures and explain that for everybody? It's pretty simple. Yes, <laughs> sir. I've not been mistaken for a woman. Ever. <laughs> Nobody's even said that is the ugliest woman I ever seen. Not even nothing like that. Why would you want to fudge on the lines? Why would you want to compromise, cross over? Why do you want to make any confusion for anybody else? Why not keep the way straight? If you're a woman, dress like a woman. You, know, you want me to go a little farther with that? I can tell you about uh, the American Indians when they, when they came. What did they find the women wearing? Were the women wearing pants? No. Did they ever find any savages anywhere where the women were wearing pants? No. No. The men might be completely naked, but the women had on some kind of skirt. Now, it may not have been modest, and and some of them went completely naked too, depending on how depraved they were and how far in the darkness they were. But there was a very clear distinction, and it's the same as what it is today that you see on every bathroom door in the world mm-hmm. that tells you the difference. Mm-hmm. It's the universal sign and language that explains to every culture, every nation, every tongue, every people, which is the girl's bathroom and which is the boy's bathroom. Mm-hmm. Y'all know what it is, don't you? Yep. It's a dress. So why is that so contested? Answer me that. <laughs> well, they're women's pants. Oh. Alright, if I come to church with a man's skirt on, how would y'all like it? I mean, I bought it in the men's department. It's not a woman's skirt, it's a man's skirt. <coughs> Would that fly? No, it won't. You see how foolish and ridiculous that argument is? But that's one of the big problems, see? Conscience. Where are where's the conscience of women nowadays? And and it's defiled, and they're defiling every generation that comes along behind them with their emboldenedness to defy. God's order and design in every level, in every aspect. And so I just thought I'd just show you in that one little area. And we can go every which way with it. But we're going to face God one day. I don't believe I'm going to be ashamed when I stand before God to give account of saying what I just said. It's true. That's right. Amen. People used to have some dignity and respect for for one another and for their own self. They presented themselves clean and, and fixed up and instead of so sloppy and degrading as they look now. And it's like a disease. It passes on to, the, to others around us and that's what we're talking about here. Well, hope you understand that. By teaching that sin is normal and even tolerated by God. That's how we defile the conscience of others. By teaching that sin is a light thing that is easily taken care of because of Christ and His shed blood. Do you, are you staying with me here? That's what I'm talking about. We compromise the lines and we partake where we shouldn't partake, where our conscience tells us not to. And this is what happens to others. By teaching that we're not delivered from sin when we're saved. That's a conscience matter there. It's a de- I, that's where the conscience is defiled in a lot of people. And in a lot of young people. I've sat and watched it for three or four generations here that I've seen. Come up and go through this and be taught. And this is what the result is. When you teach them that we're all sinners and we can't help it and we can't stop it and it's just to be expected, then their consciences don't even bother them about it. Because the preacher said that's the way it is. Everybody here believes that's the way it is. I mean, that's what the Bible says. The Bible don't say that. Nowhere. Anything like that. But you've done the same thing as this person who ate of the meat of the idol, the sacrifice of the idol, and emboldened the weak brother to eat. And then it's it goes from there. What's this old saying of what the what the parents uh, tolerate, the children will embrace. And then the, then what about the next generation? But there's no. So people are given a false promise that they can sin and get away with it, and so they just don't worry about it. There's no. It's a hardened heart and a and a seared conscience. But there's no assurance and peace of heart unless you do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Because here's what the Bible says, First John chapter 3, verse 19 through 22, And hereby we know that we are of the truth. Don't you want to know that? I know people that are seeking real hard to know that. So here's the answer. Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God and whatsoever we ask we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. So, if your conscience is still bothering you, you you're just not going to get right with God. Something's going to have to happen. How do you clear your conscience? You can't be right with God and have a defiled conscience. There's no greater treatment. That's why that you got to come to Jesus like it said in the parable of the sower, in a good and honest heart. Right. That's a clear conscience. That's being able to look other people in the eye. Not having anybody that you've got to avoid when you go to town or church. Our home. There's no greater torment in this life than a defiled and evil conscience. At times, some people may do and say things that sound like true repentance, but it's only the cries of a soul trapped and tormented by an evil conscience. Yes, sir. Repentance is a different thing than just... Crying about your troubled heart. First Samuel chapter 15 and 24. Uh, Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. See, he's he's admitting his sin and lying in the same sentence. Yes. Yep. Telling a lie and pretending to be repentant. Right. In the same sentence. He wasn't afraid of the people. He's the one that did that. And he said, I've, dis- I've sinned, for I've disobeyed, I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, but I had an excuse. The people made me do it. It was their fault. Hmm. 1 Samuel 15 verse 30, And then he said, I've sinned, Yet honor me now. I pray thee before the elders of my people and before Israel and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. Saul pleading with Samuel. First Samuel 26 and verse 21. Then said Saul, I have sinned again. Here, Return my son David. For I will no more do thee harm, because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. Does that sound like repentance? Well, it sounds like it, but is it? No. It wasn't. No. He was just trying to get him over so he could kill him. Anything. Lie, whatever. But Saul is really troubled. I mean he really is. He's about to get to the point here where he's going to call on a witch to try to talk to Samuel after Samuel's gone. He's so desperate because he's in so much trouble because God won't speak to him. The good news is that God's made a way to purge an evil conscience through Christ. There's no other way to purge an evil, defiled conscience. We started out there in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 2. 2 and verse 10 and verse 22 is what it was. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. There's no other way. The world attempts to do it by drowning and denying the guilt, but it doesn't work. Every scheme that sinful men come up with to do away with the pleadings of their conscience is based in selfishness. That's right. And therefore it doesn't work. <laughs> well I'm trying to hurry I'd like to stop there for a minute but that's just the way it is men can't fix their own bad conscience you can't drown it in pleasure you can't drown it in in drink or drugs or immorality you can't drown it you can't silence it by flying away far away going to another place just erasing your past—you can't do it that way. The Old Testament sacrifices and methods of dealing with with sin could not purify conscience. Now, because the Bible tells us that in Hebrews chapter nine, verse nine, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices. Are you listening? That could not make him that did the service perfect, as pertaining to the conscience. So they did all those sacrifices, those animal sacrifices which were shadows and types and pictures of things to come, and they never could go away with their conscience cleared. For then would they have not then would they not have ceased to be offered? That's a question. For then would they not cease to be offered? because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. See, if the blood of bulls and goats took away sin, it clear your conscience too. So that's what it takes to clear your conscience. Sin has to be taken away. Now isn't that what Jesus said He came to do? Isn't that what God promised that He would send Jesus to do? Isn't that what John the Baptist said when he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Hope for the prisoners to set the captives free. You think he's just talking about people in jail? People that were trapped by their own evil conscience because of their sin that they had done their, that law written in their heart that they had trampled upon in their lust for their sin, what they wanted. The sacrifices back then were made by the transgressor to make atonement for sin. That's the way it was. You brought the sacrifice. You didn't go up to the priest and say, here's your ten bucks, I, or whatever. Make me a sacrifice. No, you had to bring the sacrifice. You had to lay your hand on its head while it died. There was a lot to all that, but it was you that had to do it. And anything that you do to try to reconcile yourself to God will fail to clear your conscience. See, they made that sacrifice and an innocent animal died but that's a whole lot different than the Son of God dying in your place. Dying as the sacrifice for your sin. The sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world and clears an evil conscience was the death of God's Son for you. It isn't something we've done. It is what He has done for us. Key. Key thing right there. It's the key that unlocks the door. When you figure out that you can't fix it and only God can, that's the only way you're ever going to get it fixed. That gives us great assurance of forgiveness. I didn't do it. I had nothing to do with it. I found mercy. He showed me mercy. He gave me forgiveness, <laughs> without anything that I did, except yield my worthless self to Him, and whatever's left, and and just a big mess. A defiled mind, a defiled heart, a defiled body, a defiled conscience. That's what we all brought to him. Yes, sir. True assurance of forgiveness is the only thing that can purge an evil conscience. That's so important. And that's another key theme. People have really a hard time with believing they're forgiven. I mean, I've talked to people so many times and that's what I've heard out of them. And when when they're having trouble and you hash it down to the bottom line, that's what it comes to. They're just really not sure that God has forgiven them. And they don't believe any other person has forgiven them either. They have more trouble believing that people have forgiven them than they do believing that God has forgiven them. It's easier to imagine that God's forgiven you than it is to imagine that people forgive you. Because it's such a rare thing. It really is. It's hard to find it in the churches. In the Bible-believing churches. It's hard to find real, genuine, godly forgiveness. We might forgive for minor things, but when it's major... Oh, did you ever hear anybody say, I could never forgive them for that? Heard that? Heard that? Most of us have probably said that. Tell you what, if that happened to me, that'd be... If they did that to me, that'd be the end of it. Well, that's why people don't believe in forgiveness. The Pharisees said, Who can forgive sins but God alone? (laughs) That's another dumb question they ask. If you don't forgive, others trespasses against you, neither will God the Father forgive your trespasses. So it seems to me that everybody can forgive sins. It's possible for all of us to forgive sins. If we don't forgive, we can't go to heaven. We can't get forgiveness from God if we don't forgive. It's made very plain. So the the true assurance of forgiveness is the only thing that can purge an evil conscience. Think with me, think with me. Somebody's done an awful transgression. Think of the worst things you can think of that people do to one another. how do you get rid of that guilt what is the only thing that can clear it is to know that they've forgiven you it's not a concept that's just Uh, exclusive to Christianity. Others have this concept. They base it on self-will and self-goodness and all of that rather than on the blood of Christ, which we're preaching tonight. That's the only way. Having your heart sprinkled. Sprinkled with what? The blood of Christ. There can be no forgiveness without confession and therefore no purging of the conscience. Hebrews 9.14 How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God purge, that means make clear, uh, make clean and purify your conscience. How much more shall the blood of Christ purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So if the Blood of bulls and goats served the purifying of the flesh. That's what this, the context says. then how much more should the blood of Christ clear your conscience well, through the assurance of forgiveness of sins? Can't be forgiveness without confession. So there's no purging of the conscience until we're ready to confess our sins. You got to own them. It's me. I'm guilty. I'm guilty before God. I'm the one that did it. I'm the one that messed up. There's nobody to blame but me. Instead of the people made me do it, my wife made me do it, the serpent made me do it, my brother made me do it. If it hadn't been for them, if it hadn't been for that, now that's all. That's got to stop. It's got to be. It's me, oh Lord. It's me. A defiled and evil conscience is always a result of mistreating others and, and God. That's why you got a troubled conscience, because you've done wrong to somebody. You've done them wrong. You've hurt them. You've trespassed against them. You've you've taken something from them. You've caused suffering. You've caused them pain. You've caused them grief. That's why you tr- your conscience is troubled. Yes. You can't do somebody wrong and then go to God and ask forgiveness without confessing to them also and asking their forgiveness. Yes, it's true. It's like, that's like stealing from one man and then going to, to another man and asking him to forgive you without telling the one you stole from. Right. No, you've got to seek forgiveness from the person you've wronged before God will forgive you the wrong and before your conscience can be cleared. I remember Brother Owen, he kind of touched on it when he was here, but I remember him telling about working in the Morton factory over there in Crozet, and they had, you know, they made the frozen pies and dinners and stuff, and before he got saved, and, and they would eat them pies. You know, they'd hide and eat them pies. <laughs> and that was stealing. Of course, when he wasn't saved, he didn't think nothing of it. It was just a thing to do. He also worked for a, a contractor in New York, and he took a bunch of tools from the job. And he said, after I got saved, he said, I had to do right. He said, I drove to New York with those tools and, and tried to get the man to take them back and told him what I'd done. <laughs> and he said he went to the Morton factory and paid them for all the pies that he ate while he worked there. What does that do for your conscience? That clears your conscience that assures you of forgiveness. Not only that, but it's a wonderful testimony. It's a thing that is so unheard of in the world that when a when a person does that, it makes an impression on the one you stole from, the one you wronged, whatever you did. Restitution. It used to be a part of salvation as we understood. I mean, that was a fruit of it. That's what happened. When you really got saved, you made it right. You made everything that you could... No, right. With everybody that you had wronged that you possibly could. So God may forgive even if that person won't, but not unless you forsake the sin, confess the sin to the one wronged and seek forgiveness there. Only this will purify the conscience and take away the condemnation that hovers over your head like a dark cloud. And none of that would be possible without the sacrifice of God's Son and what He did for us on the cross. When we obey God... In all of this, God does things in our soul that are unexplainable and miraculous. (laughs) It's more wonderful than you expect it to be when your conscience is cleared. And the guilt is truly gone. And you can look at it in the distance as an awful thing, but I'm forgiven. It's okay. It's like the prodigal after he came home. Isn't it wonderful that he came home? Isn't it wonderful that his father was so happy to have him home? Isn't it wonderful that he put a robe on him and a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and killed a fatted calf? And Isn't that wonderful? Yes, amen. You think he never thought about what he'd done ever again? Well, of course, but but it's okay. The the transgression has been fixed. Reconciliation has been made. Reconciled. Reconciled to God, reconciled to the ones we've wronged. That's the only way we get our conscience cleared. We're to obey God in all of this. And God, He's made provision for much more for us than simply clearing our record of sin just a much bigger deal than, than I've heard about So for most of my Christian life. You know, that salvation is just, it's just your, it's really just God clearing the books for you. You get to start over. No, no. Oh, no, 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 no. He does more than simply clearing our record of sin. The, the world calls that having your record expunged. Is that the right word? They they erase it off your record like it never was there. He does more than that. He fixes the whole problem from the inside out. Two more verses. Uh, and, and it's the one I read to start with. Hebrews ten twenty two. "...let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our body wa- bodies washed with pure water." 1 Timothy 3, 9, "...holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience." I read both of those verses in the beginning read him in the end there is your conscience clear tonight Paul said that he exercised himself to have a good conscience a clean conscience uh, that's not how he, uh, I'm not saying the right word there a conscience void of offense before God and men that's what he lived trying to do yes, so that he didn't have to be ashamed before anybody he met. Can you say that today? Is there anybody that you've done wrong that you just, boy, I hope I don't run into them. Have a clear conscience. There's a way to fix it. Amen. God made a way. I'm glad it's that way. You know how many people there are. that You know that most of the people in this world don't even know how to escape this prison of torment. They really don't. Look at the despair on their faces. Go out there and do you ever notice people's faces? Do you look at them when you go to the store and stuff? I do. I remember standing in the store in Mexico and just I was just in there in in the supermarket and I was just standing there watching everybody and And no smiles, nothing but trouble on everybody's face. That's all I could see. Nobody greeting one another. Just everybody just. Everybody looked troubled, and everybody looked guilty, and everybody looked miserable. That's the way it is here, too. You know what's wrong with them? Same thing's wrong with everybody. They just go about living for themselves and walking all over everybody else and they're miserable. Yes. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, with all thy <coughs> soul, with all thy strength. And love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the whole law. And prophets. Yep. All summed up. What does God want us to be? That right there. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. you got a clear conscience when it's that way. Amen. Think about it.